Last week, we looked at the first words of the Bible. In the beginning, God. And we talked about the existence of God and evidences that we have about the existence of God. Turn me up just a little bit. The... um, This morning, I want us to to go, I I said last week, a word further. We're going to go a word further, and then I'm going to expand on that word, because we can't just end in one word, but the word is created. In the beginning, God, you know, it's not just that he exists, but he was active. He, He created. In the beginning, God created. There's a, there's an argument that's been around for, for a long time. It's called the column, I think is the way you pronounce it, argument. It is a, um, uh, an Islamic word because it has Islamic roots. Uh, in ancient Greece, Aristotle taught and believed that God was not the creator of the universe, that there was no divine creation of the universe, that the universe had always existed. And the gods, of course, you know, they were Greek gods that he, he believed in. They believed that the gods didn't create the universe, they just organized it into, into what we had. And so they, that was the, the belief uh, of most of the world at the time the uh, New Testament was written. The Hebrews, of course, didn't believe that. The Hebrews believed, as it is written in the first book of the Bible, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so they didn't believe that God just organized the world, but that God created it. And the word that they used was out of nothing, ex nihilo. From nothing, the world was created. So when Christian philosophers came along, they also taught that the world had a beginning because we accept the Old Testament as well as the New. We accept those first five uh, books of the Bible as, as real, as legitimate, the books of Moses. And so Christian philosophers also taught that the world had a beginning. And then Islam came along. Islam, Muhammad, Muslims, they also believed that the world had a beginning because they also believe in the first five books of the Bible. They believe in the, in the, uh, in the Torah. And they believed that the world had a beginning and so when their philosophers, when, when Islam became the prominent culture across North Africa and southeastern, southwestern uh, Europe, Islamic uh, philosophers, mathematicians, and, and you hear this, this a lot, that, that they really contributed. They actually uh, kept alive some of the things that we believe, some of the things that we know about science. So Jewish, Christian, and Islamic scholars all taught that the world had a beginning. Secular philosophers, secular, uh, it's really before much science was around, but secular philosophers believed like Aristotle that the world was constant, that the world was, was eternal, that creation I mean, that the universe had always been there, 
and it had been there for a long time. And that was the, the concept that Darwin had when he began his evolution, that, that uh, secular philosophers believed that the world had always been there. Okay, and so the, the, the column argument says this, whatever begins to exist has a cause. The universe began to exist. Therefore, the universe has a cause. And that was the, the belief of Islam, the belief of Christians, the belief of uh, Jews uh, for, for, for almost ever and ever. And science didn't have any problem with that. Darwin didn't have any problem with that because he didn't believe that the universe began. He believed that the universe was always there, that the universe was eternal, that matter was, was always present and had never been uh, created, never been began. And then, in the early part of, this, of the last century, the 1900s, two things happened. Number one, scientists began to discover and eventually developed a new theory and, and you know the new theory is the Big Bang Theory, okay? Uh, that's, that's the popular name for it now. Uh, and the Big Bang Theory is that the universe began with the Big Bang sometime in the ancient past. The second thing that happened was Einstein developed his theory of relativity and uh, it didn't work unless he added some extra numbers to it until they realized that there was a big bang, that there was a beginning. And uh, so I'm not smart enough to tell you about Einstein's general theory of, of uh, relativity. You're going to have to find somebody smarter than me to talk about that. I just know that Einstein believed that there had to be a beginning and there had to be, if there was a beginning, if it began to exist, it had to have a cause. So if it's true that there's a beginning to the universe, it's had to have a cause. Whenever you hear a bang, what do you think? Well, what caused that bang? Something always causes it. And something caused the big bang. And you've heard it said that science you know, talks about facts, and religion talks about faith. Science isn't concerned with morality. Only religion is concerned with morality. That goes a long ways back. Galileo said it this way. He said, science tells you how the heavens go. The Bible tells you how to go to heaven. <laughs> I like that. However... It may sound like a good compromise, but there's a problem with it. On the scientific side, naturalist scientists work very hard to eliminate the possibility of there being a God. They don't want there to be one, and so they work very hard to, to try to uh, disprove the existence of God. But it's not all their fault. There's a problem on our side, too. There's a problem on the biblical side, because... It, we can't leave facts to the realm of science because the Bible is very specific about some facts. 
We can't leave history to historians because the Bible is very specific about some facts of history and some events in history. While the Bible isn't a science book, and I don't think that it's a science book, it does make some very definite claims about some things that would fall in the realm of science. For example, the verses we just read, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. So you've either got to believe that the Bible is talking about the way the world was created or Moses just made something up. You know, those are the two, two alternatives. The Bible's not a history book. You know, I don't think that you can take the Bible and, and determine all of history, obviously. Uh, but it does make some historic claims, specifically about Jesus Christ and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the Bible goes to a great extent to show that that's a historical event. You know, read 1 Corinthians 15. Paul talks about a very specific about how that happened in history, and there were eyewitnesses of that happening in history. Uh, Paul talks about it again, <coughs> excuse me, in Romans, uh, where, where he talks about the history of, of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so the Bible is, is specific about some history events. And then the third thing I would say, the Bible's not a psychology book. But it makes claims about the nature of being human that precludes the possibility of us evolving from an ape-like creature. Now, you know, we need to be careful about what we say. You know, the, the evolutionists don't teach that man came from apes. I saw somebody said the other day, well, if we came from apes, why are apes still here? Well, that's not what science teaches. Science teaches that we both evolved from the same ancestor. Uh, they're just, just different lines. But the Bible makes some claims that, that we ought to look at that makes that not, not possible. Uh, and I'm going to show you this morning that it's not just faith that points to God. Science points to God also. There are things about science that points to God. And, and I've... Uh, I brought one of Soren's balls with me today. I was hoping he'd be here because he, he always wants to make... He always wants me to make it disappear. He says, here's, here's a ball, Granddad. Make it disappear. And, you know, used to I could real easy, but it's getting harder and harder. <laughs> it's in your pocket you know he's he's figured out the places I make it disappear to but you know what this ball represents anybody want to guess no well yeah it does that too and it bounces back up every time the what action and reaction it's even more than that see she has reaction too <laughs> that is the size of the earth no the size of the universe no the size of all creation one tenth of 35 zeros 
the one trillionth of a trillionth of a trillionth of a second after the Big Bang. Give me my ball back. <laughs> Bad throw. Give, give it to Brandon, would you? Give it to Brandon. There you go. <laughs> show, show the first slide, DK. Where did everything come from? This is Discover Magazine from uh, April of 2002. And it says this is the actual size of the world, one-tenth with 34 zeros behind it, okay? After the Big Bang, the universe burst into something from absolutely nothing. Remember what the Hebrews said way back then? Created ex nihilo from nothing, zero, nada, and it, it gets bigger, it became filled with even more stuff that came from absolutely nowhere. How is that possible? How is that possible? And then it says the theory of inflation helps explain everything, and the theory of inflation has been pretty much tossed out. What explains everything? God's Word explains everything. It tells how that happened. Cosmology, go to the next slide, DK. First thing we want to look at is cosmology. Cosmology comes from the Greek word cosmos, which means world, and logia, or logos, which means the study of. And it's the study of the origin, the evolution, and the eventual fate of the universe. And cosmologists, almost to a T, have come to believe that the origin of the universe was a Big Bang, when all the universe exploded into existence at a definite point in time. And the fact now that most scientists believe that energy, matter, space, and time had a beginning is a definite pointer, and it points to an intelligent creator. A couple of weeks ago in the Israeli Times, it was talking about further evidence of a Big Bang. He says the, it was a, a um, professor at Bar Ilan University in Israel said, this announcement isn't going to make anyone who wasn't a believer in God into one, or vice versa. But one thing the announcement does do is make clear that the universe had a definite starting point, a creation. And then he says, as it was described in the book of Genesis. He's not a believer. He's, he's, not a, he's not a Jewish scholar. He's an Israeli scholar. But he says, to deny a beginning is to deny scientific facts. What does the Bible say? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. That's how it began. Began in a burst of light. Nobel Prize winner Arno Penzias says the best date we have about the Big Bang is exactly what you would have predicted if you had nothing to go on but the first five books of Moses, the Psalms, and the Bible. It's a Nobel Prize winning physicist who said that. So my little ball, where did I do with it? I made it disappear. This was the size of the world, the universe at the beginning. Cosmology says that it began with a big bang. Something causes big bangs. The Bible tells us that what causes it in the beginning was God. Okay? That's the first evidence. The second evidence from science is anthropic fine-tuning. It's been long known, at least since Copernicus, over 500 years ago, that something about the universe is exactly tuned, actually everything about the universe is exactly tuned to support life. If you read that from an atheist viewpoint, they say, well, of course it looks that way because if it didn't support life, there wouldn't be anybody around to look at it anyway. So obviously it, it, it does that. But uh, essentially, all the seemingly arbitrary and unrelated constants in physics have one thing in common. They are the precise values you need if you want to have a universe capable of producing life. And if the laws of physics are fine-tuned to permit life, as contemporary physicists say, physicist Paul Davis says, well, maybe this looks fine-tuned because there's a fine-tuner. There is someone who is who is fine-tuning the universe. The impression of intelligence is overwhelming. What does the Bible say? When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you thought of us and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you made him a little lower than the angels and you crown him with glory and majesties and you make him to rule over the works of your hands and you've put all things under his feet. The Bible says, yeah, there's a fine tuner. It was God and he fine tuned it for us. For us. Then the third thing. I don't want to spend all my time on theology. I mean on science. I want to spend it all on theology. DNA and information in the cell. Richard Dawkins is a professor at Oxford University, and he's probably one of the most outspoken atheists of our time. He's written several books uh, where he disavows the even possibility of there being a God. But when he's talking about DNA, here's what he says. He says, the machine code DNA in our genes is uncannily computer-like. In other words, in your body, there, every cell has a computer built into it. 
Well, if computers, I have a computer here, it runs on software. What do you know for certain about this computer? Somebody wrote the software. Somebody made it. Somebody wrote the software that it runs by. And, and uh, if anything, a computer program, even if you didn't have a computer, if you just had a book, you know, you look at a book and you know one thing about a book, what? Somebody made it. It has a designer. It had somebody who organized it and, and put it all together. You just know that there is intelligence behind organized information. And so when you look at the intelligent organization in every living creature, you have to believe there's some kind of intelligence behind it. It doesn't just happen. And molecular biology shows that there's information in the cell. And it's strong evidence that there's a designer who put it there. The information contained in DNA, it's a, it's a fascinating read as you just keep reading it and looking at it and the, th the information that is in, in your DNA. And it's becoming the biggest challenge yet to those who want a world without God, because how could the kind of information in every cell ever get there accidentally? One scientist, um, in talking about it, in trying to give an illustration, gave an illustration something like this. You know, we went to, to the Escalante days at the park yesterday. Um, and by the time the band was through playing, and uh, we found some fry bread for lunch, and uh, we're, we're looking around down there. I, I kind of estimated that there were maybe a thousand people there. You think that's close? Anybody that else was there? A thousand people? That's a lot of people in that little park. Uh, imagine yourself going to a little park like that and there being 10 times that many people. 10,000 people. Now here's your assignment. In that park, there are two people in the park who are named Lee. Now, Lee can be a boy's name or a girl's name. L-E-E -E or L-E-I-G-H. I don't know which it is, but there's two people named Lee in that park. And your assignment is to go into that park with 10,000 people and find the two people named Lee that are in there. You know, that'd been, that would be incredibly difficult, yes? Okay, but remember, we're talking about it happening without intelligence. And so you can't speak. You can't ask anybody what their name is. You just got to figure out who the two Lees are among those 10,000. Oh, and one more thing. We're going to blindfold you. So you can't see, you can't speak, you can't talk to anybody, but your job is to go into that park, take two people by the hand, bring them out of the park, and what are the chances of you getting the two Lees? Not very good. Well, that's okay. We'll give you another chance. All right? Next year at Escalante Days, you can try again. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the way non-intelligent evolution has to take place. It just, it just happens by accident. <laughs> and for just one just one cell to have the intelligence 
that is there, random chance would have to work not once, but 10,000 times in a row in order to get the information that is in your cell. In Acts 17, when Paul went to the Areopagus to talk to the Greek scholars, he made a very simple claim to them. He said, you see all of this? You wonder where it came from? There's an answer. There's a God. He is a creator of all who gave life and breath to everything that exists. And then he goes on to tell them, and you can find him. He's not hiding from you. We'll get to that in a minute. Number four. The design of complex organs. We were on a trip the other day, and Jennifer gave me this lecture. Uh, I could just let her come and give you the lecture. The trouble is that she doesn't stop with that, and then she wants to go on to the next one. Um, she was talking about the eye. You know, uh, the, it, the, in order for an eye to work, it all has to be there. Uh, if, if any part of your eye isn't there, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Uh, now, I don't know much about, about eyes and how they work. So I want to make something just a little bit simpler, okay? I went out in my garage and looked for a mousetrap, but I couldn't find one. So the only illustration I have today is my ball. But I could have brought a mousetrap. Y'all know how a mousetrap works, right? It has, th think about the parts of a mousetrap. I'm talking about just the old... The old wooden mouse traps with the spring that uh, caught the old mouse or didn't caught the mouse, you know, however it may be. But it has that wooden platform. Do you know how important that wooden platform is? If you don't have it, it won't work. And then there's the bar with the spring on it. Do you know how important that is for the mouse trap? If you don't have it, it will work. And then there's the little bar that goes across the spring that holds that down. Do you know how important that is for the mousetrap? If you don't have it, it don't work. And that's not saying about the little staples that hold all that to the platform. And then there's the bait tray. That's the best thing I can think of to call it. It's, it's the trigger that you put the cheese on or the peanut butter or whatever, if you don't have that, there's nothing that tells it to catch the mouse. And so all of those parts are there. Which one's most important? You see, if, if any one of them's not there, you don't have a mouse trap. And so you know what you can know for sure? There was somebody who made mouse traps, right? They don't just show up. They don't just happen. And that's the way with the eye, with, with many of our other organs. Uh, Psalm 139 says, You formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. It's difficult to understand for me how anyone can believe that the nervous system, 
particularly the brain or the eye, could have been produced by evolutionary randomness and selection when we know not even a mousetrap could be. Not even a mousetrap could be. And its complexity far surpasses anything that we've produced. It's nothing short of a miracle. Number five, and I'm not going to spend any time on this one because this is what we looked at last week, the sudden appearance of life. Uh, At a certain point in the past, there was a sudden explosion of life forms (coughs) with no evolutionary explanation, no fossils leaving up to them, no preforms. They just all of a sudden exist. Uh, Scientists call it the Cambrian explosion because it took place during the Cambrian uh, age. Here's what Genesis says. And God said, let the water teem with living creatures. What does teem mean? T-E-E-M. It means it's, just, it's overwhelmed. Let the water be overwhelmed with living creatures. And let birds fly above the earth, above the expanse of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living and moving thing with which the water teems according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them and said, Be fruitful, increase in number, and fill the waters and the seas. And let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning, the fifth day. The Bible says, God said, Let there be a sudden appearance of life on the earth. And there was a sudden appearance of life on the earth. Number six, human consciousness. We're more than machines. You're more than a higher animal. We have the capacity for self-reflection. We have the capacity for art, for representational art. Well, some of us have the capacity for representational (laughs) art. Others of us have to have it explained to us. But language. We have have the capability to speak and talk and to communicate. We have the, the, the ability for creativity. And folks, all of those are more than a simple function of the physical matter of the brain. There there's something else that's there. And it's called consciousness, human consciousness. We're aware of things. And, and where did all of that come from? Science has no idea. They, they can't even make a guess. They just say, well, it just kind of developed. But Genesis says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Why are we different from the rest of creation? Because God said we're made in his image. We're made in the image of God. Verse 27 says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created them. Male and female he created them. You know, we are the special creation of God. Made in his image. So like God, we can think. Like God, we can plan. Like God, we can be creative. Like God, you know, we, we can have emotions and love and, and uh, care for one another and, and 
it's, it's, those are things that we have because we're made in the image of God. And, and the important thing for us to understand about all of that is when Paul talked to those scholars in, in Athens, he didn't stop with telling them about a creator. He didn't stop with that. When, when I went to the folks in, in Japan and uh, Korea and I would begin to talk with, with one that had never heard of Jesus Christ, that was the first question I always asked. Have you ever heard of Jesus Christ? If they said no, I went all the way back to the beginning. I said, well, let me tell you about the God who made us. But I didn't stop there. I wasn't trying to, to, to convince them that there was a God who created us. That's not the important thing. What's the important thing? The important thing is not that God made us, is it that Jesus had a role in that creation. In John it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and we know that the Word was Jesus. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made, and without Him nothing was made that has been made. So, so Jesus was part of, of the creation he was part of that which created us in the book of hebrews it says in the past god spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son his son is jesus whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe jesus was the one who was the creator he was at the creation he was a part of the trinity who did the creation and in this debate between evolutionary science and intelligence design the battle over evolution and the battle over a designer is a battle folks over whose religion is correct it's a religious battle because science don't want to believe in god and so their religion is, is evolution. And if evolution can ever be proved, the correct answer as to how things accidentally came to be, then God can be written off. That's why they work so hard to do that. We can just take God right out of the picture. But taking God out of the creation story is a mighty big task. And when God asks somebody to believe the biblical message... God is not asking that person to leave their brain at the check desk. They say, well, you know, when you come into the church, you've got to leave your brain outside because this is all just a bunch of hullabaloo, a bunch of fooey. God is not asking us to do that. He wants us to use our minds and see him in creation, to see him all around. And, and I, I think that God, of course, you know, who am I to put thoughts in God's mind? But I think God anyway. I think God, when, when a scientist makes a discovery, that it just thrills God to the, to, to the, to the very depths of his being. And, and, and I can just hear him laughing out loud the first time humans looked through the Hubble telescope and saw, saw some of the things that, that are in all of creation, that, that, that are everywhere. It was out of focus. Uh, it was out of focus. <laughs> God says, if you get this in focus, it'd look a little better. Uh, I think that God, as creator, loves for us to discover more and more about it. Because all of creation is a testimony 
to the glory of God. That's the way we started. You know, the heavens are telling of the glory of God. And just as a preview, that's what we're going to talk about next week. The heavens are telling of the glory of God. The Bible says that Jesus was right at the heart of all that creative power. He was the agent of creation when God created all things. And believing that is a matter of faith. You can believe that God was the creator, but believing in Jesus Christ as being the creator is a matter of faith. But it's not that big a stretch to believe that. If you want to be stretched in your belief, just believe that all of this happened by accident. That's a stretch. That's a stretch. And then, not only was Jesus the creator, but the Bible tells us that all of creation points to Jesus. In Colossians, it says this, He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, things that are visible and invisible, whether they're thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. All things were created by him and for him. Why were all things created for Jesus? Why? Did did, did Jesus need another waterfall? Did Jesus need uh, another few hundred million stars? Did he need a, a herd of buffalo rushing across an empty continent back, you know, two or three hundred years ago? No, Jesus needed all of that because all of creation points to him. All of it, its created glory is a testimony to the power and the wonder and the incredible beauty of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Just gives us an, an, an example, an idea. I want you to try something before we come back next week and and talk about everything being uh, made for Jesus. I want you to, 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 to just look at the different ways that you can discover the creation points to Jesus. Let me give you, let me give you some suggestions. Last night, uh, I stayed up way too late last night because I wanted to see the meteor shower. Are you guys familiar that right now we're right in the middle of the Perseides meteor shower? Unfortunately, it doesn't start till it doesn't get very good until around midnight, and it doesn't hit its full uh, glory until around two o'clock in the morning. I don't know why. If God wanted to point to Jesus, He made it happen such a awful hour but but that's when it's happening right now and it says the earth is going through a the the remains of a comet the something tuttle comet that came by here years and years and years ago and we go through the 
the tail of that comet at once a year. And all those little pieces of dust, what you see are just, just dust. When it hits the Earth's atmosphere, it flames up. And uh, anyway, tonight's the best night. Uh, August the 12th is the best night to see it. Uh, I guess I could say early in the morning is the best time to see it. Because that's when it says, it says, as soon as it gets dark, you'll see a few once in a while, but they'll be out on, on the perimeter. But before they get up, it, it'll be about midnight or later. Anyway, I went out to look for them yesterday, and I, last night I stayed up all that time, and it never even dawned on me, dummy, you ought to go out and look and see if there's clouds. <laughs> so at midnight I went out and looked, and there were clouds. I couldn't see a star anywhere. Or smoke. I guess it could have been smoke, but whatever it was, I couldn't see the stars. Maybe tonight will be, be, be clearer. Uh, but watch them. And think to yourself, each time that that, that that meteor is there to show us the beauty of Jesus Christ, points to Jesus Christ. Um, take a walk down by the river or over by the lake or or, 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 and just look at the, the things that are there and imagine them and the beauty and the incredible detail in, in the water. Check out a book on uh, recent discoveries in DNA research. Uh, you know, I can understand about a fifth of what I read, but man, it's interesting. The things that, that, that they've discovered that our DNA does for us and, and does this to us. Uh, go to, to NASA's website and go to the, the, the place on there where they have the, the pictures from, from the Hubble telescope and just look at some of the pictures. You know, they're, they're some of the most amazing pictures that have ever been taken. Joe, turn the lights off back there. I, wanna, I just want to show you a couple that, that I got last night. Look at, look at a couple of these. Isn't that incredible? That's just out in space somewhere that the Hubble spacecraft took the picture of it. Go, go to the next one. Looks almost like two fish kissing, doesn't it? That's a nebula. I know what it is. I don't know which one it is. And that's a galaxy. The, you know that our galaxy looks something like this. Milky Way it has a few more spirals than this one does. And uh, I, read, I read one sci scientist who was, was talking about this. I'm going to talk about it a little bit next week. That he said that, that our planet is located in, in the perfect part of, of the galaxy, of the Milky Way galaxy. Because see... If, if you were located by one of these bright spots, life would be impossible. And it says that what, uh, in, in, our, in our situation, we're located in the perfect spot for us to be able to view the universe, giving credence to the fact that it's designed for God's glory because he wants us to find it. He wants us to see it. I think that's the last picture, is it? That's the last picture? Turn the lights back on. 
Anyway, if you there, there are, I don't know how many pages of those pictures there are. I just picked the first three or four that I saw and, and put them up there. They're, they're, they're incredible, incredible pictures of, uh, of what is out in the universe, what is out there. And, and when you get lost in looking at those, just, just remember this. It all points to Jesus Christ. And we ought to be able to look at creation and worship. And worship the Lord. <laughs> Just tell Jesus what a great job he did. You know, it's awesome. Break out into a round of how great thou art. Let me tell you what song I break out. I asked Mike to sing it. We sang it this morning already it's uh, Psalm chapter 8 I want you to read it with me okay I think it's on three or four slides but just real nice and slow think about it as we read it and think about creation and God's creation just read it our Lord how Lord how majestic is your name in all the earth you have set your glory above the heavens. From the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the angels, and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet, all flocks and herds and the beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. All of creation points to Jesus. And you and I are created beings. We ought to be pointing to Jesus. Because that's our purpose. That's what we were made for. That's what we were born for. Was to point <coughs> to Jesus. If Jesus is creator of all things, there's none above him. If Jesus controls all creation, there's none greater. If Jesus offers salvation for those with enough trust to receive him, don't you think a smart person would receive him and accept him, confess him, trust him, keep pointing to Jesus? Now you're already distracted. You're already thinking about going home. You're, you're already thinking about lunch. And, and you see that? That's not unusual. Life has a way of distracting us like that. I'm just asking you, try to stay focused. No matter what swirls around you today, stay focused. Keeping your eyes fixed upon Jesus. Him and Him only. Revelation chapter 4, verse 11. Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, 
to receive glory and honor and power.